Well, good morning, y'all. Good morning. I, I wanted to, before we began, I wanted to uh, just if, if kind of just start with announcements rather than in the middle or at the end. Um, if, if, if I, I hope this is not the first time you're hearing this, because if it is, then, man, I, I, I can have lunch with you after. Uh, we can talk. Um, we are in the process of closing down this beautiful congregation of not being together anymore. And so there's a clearer roadmap than there was last week when we first talked about this. And uh, what that looks like is this, uh, our last Sunday gathering here in this building will be next week. And then what we'll do is we'll have uh, community groups throughout those, that, that group time will be informal. Um, really, we'll just be gathering and praying together and, and really reading and, and talking and catching up and see how things go. Our last group will be November 4th, which is the first week of November. So two services and three groups um, will, will, will be our closeout time together. And then um, as, as we... And then we'll, we'll kind of go through more details of that at groups. And so I, I just want to invite you to come again next Sunday and, and, and let's, let's do this again one more time and, and celebrate the Lord's Day together one more time. And so that's hard in the beginning, but we have Jesus and so I, I want to lean on that this morning. I want to read into your ears. If you would stand with me to worship, I want to read into your hearing some of the last words of the Bible. Some of the, the last declarations of what is to come and who it is we place our hope and our faith and our trust in. I have the words up there for you if, if you want to read, but it's, it's in Revelation and it's uh, chapter 21 starting in verse 3 and it reads as such, and I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them. And they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. And he also said, I lost my place. And he also said, write this down for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, it is done. I am the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. This is God's word. This is the reason why we can still gather this morning is that it's, there's a day that's not today where all things will be made new. There's a day that's not today where there'll be no more weeping and no more sadness and no more sorrow or nothing that can plague us or afflict us. There is a day that's not today where full glory will be revealed, but today we get to taste a piece of it. 
And so that's what I invite you to do with me this morning. Would you pray? God, we thank you for your love and your kindness towards us. We thank you for the magnitude of your glory. We thank you for the bigness of who you are, Father. You are sovereign and in control of all things. You are loving, full of love, patient with all of us here this morning, God. And and we praise your name for who you are, Father. May we testify your goodness in this service as we celebrate your name in Christ Jesus. Amen. Amen. You ready to study your Bibles this morning? Look at Alice. Look at Alice. Well, me too. This morning is 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 weird for us. I mean, there is a sort of a paradox that we're all experiencing. It's like the more refreshing today is, the more uh, the 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 real the reality of what our predicament. just becomes. Uh, it's, it's a difficult thing, but we have something in our possession this morning, something in our grasp that we hold to, that is, that is stronger than any storm that, that, that we may weather as a people. We, we have the gospel of Jesus Christ, the gospel of grace. And though I have two Sundays left as your pastor, if you would grant me the ability to take the next two weeks to impart closing words to you, then this morning I invite you to open with me to Psalm 130. And as you turn, I want to I want to recognize that it is it was my intention to be in Galatians one under the title No Other Gospel. And, and though I'm not going there this morning, I want to be clear. I have no intention to preach to you anything other than the gospel of Jesus Christ. The good news of our salvation, yes, but it is also the good news for the longings of our souls. And so our text is one of the songs of ascent which is a collection of 15 psalms that the Jews would sing three times a year as as they embarked on a very dangerous and very sketchy pilgrimage to Mount Zion in Jerusalem to be with God. You could think of these psalms and their collection as as a playlist of sorts, music that they would sing on the journey. I mean, we still do that. That's not a foreign concept to us. I mean, I played music to get here this morning. I, I, I mean, exercise is not something that I enjoy, as you can tell from my physique. But when I did take boxing, my coach would play really great music to sort of prepare my mind and encourage my soul for what was the war of beating my body into discipline. I've lost all discipline since, but uh, beating my body into discipline. But we do that all the time. We, 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 we have this way of, of allowing music to prepare us, to encourage us, to strengthen us along the way. And so you can think of these songs as of ascent as the same for the Jews. As they would take this journey, they would just sing these songs all the way throughout to, to prepare their affections, to prepare their minds, to prepare their hearts, to prepare their soul to be with God. And so for our time this morning, I want you to see the pilgrimage that you and I are presently on. 
We are journeymen. We are nomads. We are immigrants. Our, our home, your home, my home is not here. And as we journey to Jerusalem, family, not, not Jerusalem, the actual place, but the new Jerusalem to come, let, these, let us sing this truth in our minds so that our hearts may be made new. This particular psalm before us highlights the story of redemption found in Christ as we struggle with the curse of sin. It is a psalm that points us towards our great hope in the Lord. So I don't have any large points, but rather I want to walk the text this morning examining the psalmist's words and the meditation of their mind. So would you stand with me for the reading of God's word? And then would you pray for me as I pray for you as together we hear from God this morning? Psalm 130, I have it up there just in case you don't have it, but it reads, A Song of Ascents. Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. I wait for the Lord. My soul waits. And in his word, I hope my soul waits for the Lord more than the watchman for the morning, more than the watchman for the morning. Oh, Israel, hope in the Lord for with the Lord, there is steadfast love and with him is plentiful redemption and he will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. Would you pray with me this morning? God, we thank you. We thank you for the gift of your word. May you grant us ears to hear it. May you grant us eyes to see your goodness, your grace, and your glory all over it. May you give us softened hearts to receive it. Father, we confess our iniquities. We confess the state of our sin. And Father, if we are sitting here this morning with with a dispassionate uh, uh, arrival of our sinful nature, Father, would you break us this this morning? Would you allow the crushing weight of our sin to be a reality for us to measure, to feel, to hold? And then let your word encourage us. Let your word refresh us. Father, would you gift me as the preacher with clarity of speech and thought? Would you gift the congregation with attentiveness and grace for my errors in Christ Jesus' name? Amen. You may be seated. The ancient Jews' journey to Mount Zion was an ascent, right? Hence the name that couples these 15 psalms together. They would travel from deep valleys onto uh, small hills and, 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 and small mountains until they reached the peak of all mountains, the mountain of the Lord, Mount Zion. And family, notice then, notice then how this song is a reflection of their journey. Notice then that with that in your mind, sort of the travel plan that they would uh, have to go through, how the writing of this song becomes more precious. Don't you see it? This song in its own message is an upward step. 
It is an ascent from the lamenting of sin to resting in assurance. As Charles Spurgeon puts it, this is a song of degrees moving rapidly from the depths of anguish to the heights of assurance. This is a psalm expressing conviction and trust in God's kindness, expressing uh, uh, the weight, but, but also the promise of freedom, expressing sorrow, turning to joy. And, and notice, family, that the intent of the psalm is not for believers to see themselves as sinners, That is not the intention of the psalm. The intention of the psalm is for believers to see themselves as partakers of grace. As saints, as children of God. The psalm shows it's only by his forgiveness that we have a right into his presence. That it's only by his work, by his hand, that we may enter his courts. It's only by his love. That we have a right to be embraced. Now those are seemingly divisive statements. Because if you are unsure of your placement in God's kingdom. If you have not yet placed your hope and your trust in Christ's life. His death and his resurrection. Then you could incorrectly infer that nothing I just said applies or is even being offered to you. And therefore leaves you on the outside. But before you believe that to be true, I beg you to see that this is actually what is being offered to you. Notice I say offered because it's not something you're inherently looking for. You could imagine yourself as someone lost in the desert searching for soda. But what this text is, is water poured out on you. An offering of refreshment, a gift. And so I ask before you leave this place, Take a sip from the cup. Enjoy the vitality this message brings. The psalm, this psalm is words describing the war of being saved. This psalm is not a transition from dead to life that we've experienced at the moment of our conversion, but rather it is describing the nature of our continued transformation as one of God's children. Too often, especially in like reformed subcultures, we we see such a high emphasis on our sin nature at birth that we subconsciously, we don't do it on purpose, but what we do is subconsciously remove any, any blessing, the title, the adoption into sainthood and all that that means. And, and church, I would ask you as you move on for the rest of your days, do not make the same error. Before we can begin to see and understand the wonderful lament and the beautiful worship written in this song, I lay before you today that you are no longer having your faith placed in Jesus, branded the title sinner. See, the term in Scripture, the term sinner in Scripture is that which defines those who are walking in rebelliousness to God's will. And neither the Hebrew nor the Greek is it used to describe someone who commits a sin. It is always used to describe someone who lives under the dominion of it. The church, you've entered into the courts of God. You have taken up residence in his house. Do not live as though you are still on the outside looking in. Yes, we all begin in sin. 
Our relationship, our exchange with God begins with us in sin. Yes. And by his grace, we are rescued from hell and restored through faith and made new in Christ. But the title of sinner is our past. So then what do we do with the first verses of these of this text? Look at verse one. Out of the depths, I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? Church, even after the miracle, the gift of our personal resurrection in Christ, we are called to war against what is left of our old selves until it dies completely at the day of glory. Until Christ returns to make all things new, sin still haunts us, sin still tempts us, sin still whispers lies into our hearts, and the effects of sin is still all around us. Natural disasters, fear, sickness, death. Church, we, 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 saints, are, we, we are saints, nomads, uh, uh, immigrants longing for home because this place is not kind to us. You see what I'm saying? This place is not kind to us. This place is not safe to us. This place cannot give us freedom no matter the political ideology of a nation's creed. This world is so plagued with sin. And the effects of sin. And because so, we can be brought to our lowest state. Notice, out of the depths. Out of the depths. This is, this is a deeply low place. Out of the depths. You ever been there? Out of the depths I cried to you, O oh Lord. That's not a plea for salvation. Out of the depths I cry to you, O oh Lord, have you been there? I'll preach to myself this morning. That's okay. The Marianas Trench, true depth, is unknown to us. The last recorded depth was 36,201 feet deep. It is cloaked in perpetual darkness. It is what we believe is the deepest place on earth. There is no light there. The sun, in all of its brilliance, in all of its splendor, in all of its power, has no jurisdiction there. It doesn't. The pressure, if you and I were even gifted the opportunity to visit, would feel like a hundred elephants sitting on top of our head. And yet, that is not deep enough for God's ears to not hear you. The prayers of mourning and lament can still be heard. There is no depth that sin can take you that is too deep for God's divine ears. And we are heard by God. There is no darkness in your life that can tone out the sound of your cry to the Lord. What good news is that? That a father, your father, the heavenly father, has his ear always inclined to you. I've discovered, and I would challenge you to think on this some for yourself, but I've discovered that as I've gotten older, and granted I'm still very young, but as I've gotten older, there is something I value in my relationships more than anything else, and that is to be heard. I don't value agreement. 
as much as I value, as much as I value consideration. You understand what I'm saying? We can have a relationship and disagree. That wouldn't bother me none. I'm not going to lose any sleep if you and I entered into a discussion where we just disagreed. I'm not going to lose sleep over it. Because I still love you and I still care about you. And agreeableness is just not something that I value all that much anymore. Some of my closest friends, some of my best friends, we disagree on a ton of stuff. They're just not people that I have full, complete agreement with. But what's going to wound me, what's going to frustrate me, what's going to honestly keep me up at night is not being heard or considered. Imagine you are going through the worst season ever or just in a long time. And in your confession to someone you love and says they love you, you confess the strenuousness of your circumstances to them. And you were met with indifference. Or not just indifference, but cliched statements that are so surface you could see it on their skin. Imagine in some cases, and I believe this is worst of all, you were met with theological regurgitation or given a book. Church, if our father does not do this to us. Why would we think? Why would we think? Who, who taught us that listening, understanding, presence was less than? God hears our cries, hears our urgent tone. God hears you crying from the depths of your mourning of your own sin or, or even being the victim of someone else's sin and he listens. He listens. You are not ignored. He listens. And that is enough. That is enough because if we truly desire to be heard, if we truly find satisfaction in God's li listening to us, then the answer that we're looking for in our prayers doesn't bother us when we hold that God is good, true, and sovereign, and what he answers is good for us and glorifying to him. You see what I'm saying here? When I desire to be heard, when I desire to be considered, and I know that there is a father in heaven who always listens to my plea, his answer could be no, and I'll be fine. I don't need a God who agrees with me. I don't need a God who agrees with me. I need a God who is good. We need a God who is holy and just, a God who inclines his ear to his children. That is what we need. That is what we need. Lamenting over our struggle of sin is good and godly as long as it longs for more of God and more transformation into the image of his son. But look and see what this says. There's some tricky wording in the next few verses. It says here that God surely does mark and record our sins. But that his eye is not on them. You see that? That language there. Look at, look at those verses. Let me, let, me, let me pull them up. Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears. Oh, sorry. That was the first set of verses. 
I want to read that again. It says, O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the pleas of my mercy. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? O Lord, who could stand? This is where the English fails us. Excuse me. This is where the English fails us. We don't get to see at first glance what the psalmist is truly saying here. What he is saying is that God surely does mark, record our sins. But his eye, his eye is not on them. His eye is not on the list, but on us. The psalmist is crying out from the depths of sin, knowing that God has seen it, but has not condemned him for it. Oh, church, I wish you connected that to your own story. God surely knows that you've sinned. He knows when you've sinned. He knows the sin inside your heart, the sins at play in your mind. But when he sees those things, his hand is not the strike of death, but the embrace of forgiveness. That is what the psalmist is saying here. The psalmist is saying, God, you see my sin. You've marked all of them down and your eye is not on the list, but it's on me. He says, with you, there is forgiveness. The best butts are the butts in the Bible. But with you, but with you, there is forgiveness that you may be feared. Who could stand in your presence? No one, but in Christ. In Christ, there is free, full, sovereign pardon. The urgency of our prayers is met with the urgency to forgive. Our forgiveness is held in the hand of God, and it is his intention to extend that hand, to forgive all those who ask it of him, and he delights to forgive. His nature is merciful. He abounds in grace and gives it freely to the confessing heart. And so, and he does so, not that mercy and grace can be taken advantage of, no, but so that he is to be feared. That's what it says. So that he is to be feared or to be given proper regard. That's the translation To be given proper regard. See, when God forgives, he receives the glory. He gets the fame for saving sinners and changing hearts. It's when the offended forgives the offender that the offended is the one who is glorified. As one writer puts it, he does not renounce his renown to rescue us. He highlights And fulfills it. He forgives and saves to be seen for all that he is. The truth is, family, that God is not eager to punish you, but eager to forgive you. The greatest reason we have to fear God in the sense of honoring him and being humbled before him is because with him there is forgiveness. This is a promise. This is a promise that if you confess your sin, confess that you've done wrong, then family... It's not judgment. It's not the judgment of death that follows, but grace. The fear that this verse is conveying is not a servile fear. 
It's not a servile fear. Servile fear by application has no relationship between the one who is feared and the one whom fear is demanded of. That is a militant fear. That's not what this text is saying. The application of God's forgiveness, what flows out of our confession and received grace is honor, relational fear, fear that admires the totality of God. The the, the song that is being sung is not about a God who demands fear from his people, but about a God who is adored by his people because he stayed his hand of justice meant for them as his enemies and instead sent his son to pour out his wrath on instead so that we who were once enemies with him are now children so that we who were once dead now become heirs so that we who were once sinners are now saints in the kingdom of God. What the psalmist is saying here is when I am in the depths and I cry out to you, O Lord, for certain, I know that you You hear me and the same blood that cleansed me is the same blood that keeps me. The song of the psalmist is that of remembrance. When the saints read these lyrics, when we read these lyrics, we are calling ourselves to remember. Remember that the forgiveness that was bought with the precious blood of Jesus carries you all the days of your life. And because so, we give God all the blessing, all the honor, all the glory forever and ever. But there is more for us to glean here. It's not that we've just received forgiveness, right? It's that we're called to live in light of it. To to extend such forgiveness to others. If we are being conformed into the image of Jesus... Isn't this how we should behave towards each other? So family, I ask you, are you able? Are you able to confess your sin to your neighbor? I wonder, church, if if we are a people who are so compelled by the gospel to be Christ to the Christless, how much more should we mirror Christ to each other? Colossians 3.12 says, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts. That's what he's saying. He's saying, you are gods. Wear this. Show it. Put on compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you. So you must also forgive. You must also forgive and above all else put on love which binds everything together in perfect harmony can you confess church can you grieve even family your sin against your brother and sister out of the depths of your own sin would you be able to cry out to be forgiven to those you have wronged So that we can be bounded up together in harmony. If you've been sinned against. Are you eager to punish. Or eager to forgive. Are you longing. For vengeance. Or does vengeance belong to the Lord. Are you serving grace. Or serving wrath. What does your life say. About the gospel you believe. And the God you serve. Ephesians 4. 
31, verse 30, 31 and 32 says, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Church, the gospel, the whole gospel, affects more than just the spiritual reality of our sin state and adoption, but has legs on the ground. Calling us, compelling us to live as Christ has lived. But there is another reality we must face. Notice that even up to this point, the psalmist has never made it out of the depths in which he cries from. Never in this psalm has deliverance come during the course of its message. No, we have no reason to believe or infer that deliverance was given to the psalmist. God has heard him. God has forgiven him. The psalmist has remembered his forgiveness, has remembered God's holiness. But now, verse five, the psalmist waits. I wait for the Lord. My soul waits. And in his word, I hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than watchmen for the morning, more than watchmen for the morning. The waiting that we read here is not a waiting that you and I do at the DMV. This is a waiting that is more than just the act of waiting. The psalmist says, my soul waits. This is a patient longing, a desire for something, when you meet a God who is eager to give grace, eager to pardon, eager to mend the broken, when you meet this God who welcomes you into his family, you want more of him. And you wait for more of him to meet you, to give more of himself to you. Notice that the fear of the Lord has caused a longing for the Lord. A high regard for who God is has created in the psalmist a desire for more of him because he is worth waiting for. Church, do you long for God? Do you long for more of his presence? When you long for the Lord, you'll make space to be with him. You'll carve out times in the day to be with him. Now, the reality is sometimes that's more difficult than other times. But your desire never goes away. If you truly long for him, your desire to be with him will not be quenched by anything other than him. Busyness cannot replace his presence. If you do not meet with him one day, your longing will not be satiated just because you had a good reason. Wait on the Lord. Wait on, the, wait on the Lord like the earth waits for the promise of the morning and the evenings. Desire him, long for him. When the Jews would make this ascent into Jerusalem to Mount Zion to be the temple, there would be guards stationed at the gate. There would be guards who would wait all night for oncoming attack, to, to fence travelers, 
psalmist, psalmist is saying they would wait all night long for daylight, for the darkness to leave and the sun to rise to bring clarity and warmth to his watch. And though the night seems long and endless, especially when you are tired of being on guard, the sun is still guaranteed to come. There is a confidence that you and I have in the dark that the sun will come up from the horizon. This is assurance. You are assured sunlight is coming in the evening. And so we wait. We wait eagerly like watchmen for the morning. But notice also, this language is a callback to verse 3. In verse 3, it says that God does not fix his eye on the list of our sins. And as a result, we fix our eyes on him. All right? We do not look at the list of our sins. But instead, we meet the gaze of God and look to him. And what we see is forgiveness. And not just for ourselves. This is is where the faith moves from individual to communal. It's not just for ourselves, but for all who are with us. Psalm 130, verse 7. O Israel, hope in the Lord. O Israel, hope in the Lord. For with the Lord... There is steadfast love, and with him is plentiful redemption, and he will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. The psalmist invites now everyone to hope in the Lord. This this couldn't be further from the beginning of crying out from the depths of my own darkness. Now he's calling all to trust in the steadfast love and plentiful redemption found in God. Calling all to acknowledge their dependence, their needs for God's mercy and grace. If this was the posture of one person in here, that one person should call us all to have the same posture, just as the psalmist does. Out of the depths, he cried for mercy, received forgiveness, and now worshiped the Lord and calls everyone to, co- to, to cause everyone, the, the corporate gathering of God, everyone around him, oh, Israel. Oh, Israel, find forgiveness in God. Remember your forgiveness in God and worship, worship him. Forgiveness is celebrated as the gracious gift of God to an undeserving people. And see what this forgiveness produces. It's not stoicism. It's not, it's not a cold endearment to God, but rather those who partake in his mercy and grace, those who have tasted the goodness of his forgiveness have been redeemed by grace and now live to walk joyously, determined to turn away from evil. Family, a right view of God leads to a right praise of God. Run and tell that his table is plentiful. Run and tell that his meal satisfies like you'll share with the whole world your Thanksgiving meal in a couple weeks. How much more should you tell the world that he satisfies the very pangs of your soul? Our God is able to save you from the depths of your sin, able to forgive you, able to give you grace. 
see where sin abounded in the beginning of this psalm. By the end, grace abounds so much more. As you journey, family, in your life, from this temporary home to the new Jerusalem, go in your pilgrim, pilgrimage, singing the praises of him who you long for. Family, there is forgiveness that nature could never tell you about. You could walk the beauty of the beach and see God's artistry on full display and that yet could not show you plainly that your need for forgiveness exists. You could soak yourself in the ocean and be submerged by his refreshing loveliness and still not hear under the water that what you need is his mercy. You can see Feel his goodness, but not his mercy for your sin, unless you came to his word. You could read it. In the Old Testament, you'll see foreshadows and promises of your atonement. And in the New Testament, see it revealed more clearly than you can see anywhere else that God accepted a sacrifice on your behalf, accepted his son in your place. And you'll see the broad indefiniteness of Christ's death on the cross was not just for this sin or that one. The scripture says there is forgiveness, broad indefiniteness. God sets the door wide open for you to enter. Stand with me this morning and worship.